everybody, and welcome to another installment of Innovation Crush. It's me, Chris Denson, uh, live here at the SAE Institute, the School of Audio Engineering, where uh, magic happens. Um, please, please check it out for yourselves to see. All you, you like the magic that happens here, right, Kevin? Okay. See? See, even Kevin likes it. So good, even Kevin likes it. Um, in case you guys are tuning in for the first time ever, this show covers all things innovation, creativity, smart people, defying the rules, um, especially in this case with our guest today. Say hello, Basim Yusuf. Hello. How are you doing? How are you doing, sir? I, I don't know why I'm what I'm doing here. I mean, you guys are talking about innovation and creativity. I mean, I'm the furthest... I think, I think you qualify. I, I, I think you partially, par, at least part. I give you like a seventy-five at, at least. Sure, I'll <laughs> take. Se- I'll, I'll take seventy-five. <laughs> um, first of all, thank you for coming here um, because I know you're like minutes away from uh, childbirth. Not you per se, but it's like yeah, it's few. Yeah, it's a few hours away. Um, so we'll we'll talk fast. <laughs> how are you feel like how how are you feeling about this? Well, I think uh, men kind of connect to the child. A little bit later, women, it's instant. We right. kind of like we 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 think, all right, what time are we going to the hospital? What uh, what what do you need? We we think logis- logistically, right? We, we we just practically logistically, what do we need to get this done? But when the child comes, it's just like yeah, it's yeah, it's it's a nice creature. But you really connect and converse with them much later. You're also you're probably a little bit more calm and collected because your earlier history probably still uh, in the medical field you kind of get it like, yeah I, <laughs> I mean nothing surprises me <laughs> <laughs> um so for people who who may be living under a rock of some sort um what's the 101 what would you how would you describe yourself if if you had to do it for the first time ever what you're doing right now on innovation crush well uh in less than 10 seconds, I was a heart surgeon in Egypt. And then when the revolution happened, I did YouTube videos that caught fire. Then I had my own show. And this show became the first political star show in the Middle East. 40 million people were tuning in. And I pissed off the uh, Islamists, then the military, and then I had to escape. And I come to America, and they call me the John Stewart of Egypt. So that's it. Thank you, everyone. This has been another. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the end. That's uh, that's a lot of story in under ten seconds. Um, what uh, you use the word escape? Uh, yeah, I did escape because they were. This is the way that governments in this part of the world uh, come and get you. So they don't have necessarily to get you for freedom of expression. They will do other stuff. So they will put like fake. Uh, lawsuits against you. They will just ma- try to make um, an excuse so it will p- appear as if they were executing the law. Right. So it's going to be like, uh, so for example, oh, this guy, he's an activist, but we don't care he's an activist. He is ditching taxes. Oh, this guy, he, we found out that there is a piece of land that he, there, that he got it in the wrong way. And of course, this is all made up. So for me, it, uh, one of the channels that terminated my contract because... You know, I, I said what the government did not like. Uh, we went into an arbitration case together, and then I woke up one day and I found a verdict for 100 million pounds against me, which at that time was 50, 50 million dollars, wow. which is the biggest, and it was ridiculous. Nobody ever heard about like a size of a of, of a fine that big, let alone that I was not the one who terminated my contract or left. So my, my lawyer said, like, this is a way just to put you in jail or to at least put you on a no-fly list. So I, I just, like, the verdict was at 12 noon. I was on a plane at 5 o'clock. <laughs> like, peace. Yeah. <laughs> um, why, why Los Angeles? 
the weather. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you want to work in media, I guess, I mean, the best places to be is New York or Los Angeles. And, you know, since you have, I have a family, kids, uh, I would gravitate to a much more warmer weather. Uh, good, good move. Good move. And welcome. Uh, <laughs> mm. So... You made this interesting transition, right? You go from operating on hearts to warming them. Nice. I love it. <laughs> that, was, the, that was off the dome. This is innovation in, in progress. <laughs> um, no, but first of all, just what made the transition happen for you? You know, uh, what was that? What went into that decision making process? I mean, I didn't plan for it. I mean, the revolution happened and. Uh, uh, when when we were there in the streets, I saw a reality in the streets, which was a revolution. And then you come back home and you watch television and it was uh, fake news, Fox News everywhere. And uh, the, the stuff that they were making up about the people that I was this with. This is real fake news. Yeah, real <laughs> fake news. I mean, I was just a doctor, just like, you know, like many, uh, many of the doctors will volunteer to fix people's wounds. And, you know, because there's a lot of clashes there. And I, went, I go home and it's like, this is not true. So, like, I decided to make YouTube videos, just YouTube videos, just like something to kind of, kind of a this statement. This is B plus, right? Yeah, a kind of a statement. Sure. To, to, to just to remind people what was the media saying about the revolution so they would hold them accountable. And uh, I didn't really think much of it. I mean, at that time, I was just, like, preparing to leave to America because I was accepted in a uh, pediatric heart surgery um, fellowship. And uh, I was just like, you know, killing the time. And by the third week, every single network in Egypt was talking to me to hire me. And that kind of, this is where the switch happened. Right. And even that, when I signed my first TV show and I kind of gave up the idea of traveling, my mom, being a typical Middle Eastern woman, said, or Middle Eastern mother said, well, you can do that as long as you continue being a doctor. So for the first two years, I would still go to my shifts in the hospital. Oh, wow. As I was doing, like, my TV every week, so to kind of appease to her. It makes you a good son. I mean, when you're a grown-ass man, though, it's like... Yeah, you're, well, like, no, right, no, you're, you're always babies in the eyes of your moms. It doesn't <laughs> matter how old or successful or established you are. Um, so... When did the satire sort of catch on? You know, because the humor that goes along with it, you know, we'll get into that in a little while. But was that a voice you already had? Were you already sort of like no, a, I mean, a semi-funny, you know, satirical guy? I was just like like any other guy who just followed the news or politics. I, I mean, I might have like followed John Stewart for a long time, but like so. A lot of people did. I think it. it I, I I kind of like learned as I went along. I I taught myself and I taught my team what kind of show that we want to do. It was a kind of a a very uh, unknown territory for anybody. Right. And uh, we we were just making it up as we we went through. And uh, uh, maybe the one thing that helped that I was being a doctor i.e. a nerd, <laughs> you would uh, kind of trying to dissect what was going on in other political satire shows in the world and you try to replicate it. Right. So it was more of that, more of like studying the process. 
So yeah, so you took you you took a very like scientific approach to <laughs> creating entertainment and nerdy approach. Yes. Um, but, but and that's even interesting because it, it's it's funny whether it's in writing they say write what you know. If you're a founder of a company, it's like do something that's close to you and passionate, or at least filter it through that lens. Um, what were some of the I don't know the beats of the process that you went through? Did you go? All right. Well, yeah. What was it, what was it like with the team sitting in the room? It was what I knew was working hard in the hospital. So we would put extensive long hours to get it right, and this is why a lot of people quit at the beginning. It's like, no, 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 I'm not used to that. We used to go and have like six hour jobs, right. and I was there. We were working. I was working twelve hour shifts. In, in in the show, and a lot of people didn't understand it. So this is why the people who continued with me didn't have any background or experience in media work in Egypt. They were all fresh graduates. Right. People were didn't have to do anything with the media, and that's why it was the passion that actually got us through. That's uh, yeah, and that's uh, I love that about sort of the bootstrapping process of just entrepreneurialism. Is that a word? Yeah, just uh, that, that's also a word, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and what did it take, and we'll also get into your documentary, Tickling Giants, which is amazing, um, but there's one thing that always sticks out to me is where the girl walks into the production room, she's like, you guys can go home if you want, right? Because it's not just, you're not just building a business and making a show. You're making a very, in your case, a dangerous set of statements. Yes. So it's not just the hours. It's the passion. And it's the pressure. Right. It, it was a lot of pressure. They, we had young producers and writers who had to go back to homes where their parents might not agree 100% of the political narrative of the show. Or they would have, we would have threats of a bomb scare as we were working and... I remember that the theater was evacuated a couple of times. And we had to do all of that as we were uh, we were required to write comedy. It's uh, it, it was a very difficult um atmosphere to work under. Uh sounds hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> it's a definite condition to bring out the funny, which is uh, I think that's an interesting point though, is to look at you know, whether it's what John Stewart does or anyone else in that field where you're talking about something that's super serious and super, you know, important, but to present it in a way that people, you know, still feel good in it, I, I guess. I, you know, maybe you can describe it better than I can. The mix of the two, the mix of something that's super um, high pressure and, and, and very important, but also it's got to be entertaining and on the nose. Yeah, of course. Uh, I mean, a lot of people said, like, how did you deal with the threats? How did you deal with the difficulties? It's like, we just, like, focus on writing a good show. Because if we did a bad show, nobody would care about us. Right. So we had to actually write a good show in order to count, in, old, in order to be relevant. So because if you're a bad show... Nobody, right, <laughs> like nobody really cares, and that's a, that's the hard part, right? The hard part is actually creating quality. Yeah. You know, it's like the goal and the mission and the team. You can have all that stuff, but if it's you know, I, I work a lot in in innovation and marketing, and sometimes if the product sucks, it doesn't matter how good you market it and you know how good it's it's put together. It's it's going to be garbage, and people will receive it as garbage. Yeah. Um, I guess. You became an important figure at, at, at a point in time. Um, and I read, uh, I think it was an interview in the New Yorker where you talked about you're not an activist, right? You're yep. more of a, a messenger, at least in, in this scenario. 
Um, what's the difference between the two? And what do people want you to do? That you're like, no, no, no. Well, here, <laughs> a lot of people who watch political satirists and comedians because they are so frustrated with the um, with the failure of the media, the failure of the um, uh, their politicians, so they turn to comedians, which is fair because it's a kind of catharsis. So every night you t- tune in into your Daily Show or your Stephen Colbert or John Oliver or Samantha Bee, and she's like, yes. These people got it right. They make us laugh at the people who are like screwing up with our life. It's fair. But the problem is you, many people want the comedians to do more. You're an activist. You have to do more. You have to, to, to create change. Comedians don't change. Comedians hope that they will come up with a message and people will change and then people will do the change. Right. We, 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 the, the, uh, the, the boundaries of a satirist or a comedian stops at the borders of the screen or the borders of your stage. So the problem is a lot of... So, when, for example, in my case, I couldn't continue doing it in Egypt. It was difficult. It was, like, dangerous. And I left. And uh, a lot of people just start to accuse me, like, you bailed out on us. It's like, seriously, what have you guys done to the people who are in jail? Right. So they're just sitting on the couch doing nothing. And they ask you just because you have, uh, you know, maybe a kind of power or credibility to do even more, even if that will hurt you and your family. And and I think it's like being a, a comic or or a satirist. It's dangerous for you to be more involved in political activism. You are already doing your role by bringing people together, bringing people to the table to discuss more important stuff or more dull stuff that might you might they might otherwise not you know uh be aware of if it wasn't for comedy i think this is this is the extent of our role that's it's amazing it, it i mean i got goosebumps right now and i think about when john stewart left the air and for me personally and i don't have any statistics on this or anything but it was at such a critical point in time where i was like but we need you right we we and, and, and what you're saying is we don't, right? Or yeah, I, I mean, John is amazing, but he will tell you, you don't need me. You need to do your own. I mean, what, do you need him to just laugh at Donald Trump every night? I mean, there's like a million people doing that. I mean, mm-hmm. of course, John maybe will do it better, but like, do you actually need a better quality of comedy to laugh at Donald Trump? I mean, do you think that if John Stewart was there, it will? change the um the results of the election so much, i don't think so not so much about la- no, it's not about the joke it's about the awareness i look at it from uh almost like an well, john was there in 2004 and still john Kerry like lost in the worst four years of president bush right right yeah so it's not i mean like they're not the, ans- they are not not the, the answer, answer right? there, there are so many it's just like people think that like because we make fun of the right wing or Donald Trump in our news feed, that it, they will go away. Uh, we, if you don't, like, I mean, the Republicans are winning. Right. The Republicans are winning, not, not just the presidency, not just, like, the Congress or the Senate. You're talking about, like, like, look at how many seats that they got. They, got, they, they earned more than 1,000 seats more under Obama on the, on, on the state's level. I mean, the, the, the Democratic Party have done a horrible job in the past eight years, and they're taking over and they're using everything. This is a much greater danger. Donald Trump will not going to stay forever. Right. 
Right. It's it's the failure of the Democrats and of the liberal wing of actually organize themselves and to reach to the people. And this is why people are going to someone who's totally against their interests and they're going to screw up the country. So the, John Stewart or anybody else sure. will not solve this problem. And so I, I think you touched on a couple of things. One, we live in a culture of surface, right? You read a headline, you hear a joke, you think you know the whole story. Or you think you have made your patriotic uh, like duty, especially when you post on social media. Guess, like, oh yeah, I did it. Yes, I I, po- I exactly. posted something for Colbert. I, I I posted like this amazing piece by Trevor Noah. Oh my God, I'm a hero today. But you did. You're not. You didn't because like come to the election, last elections here in California, right after Donald Trump was elected, and right after all of the seven hundred and fifty thousand uh, pussy caps or pussy hats, whatever mm-hmm. like that march happens. 12% people showed up for elections. Right. Right. So how do you expect that you're going to change things? Yeah. I mean, they you are accusing, many of the left wing are accusing the many, many of the right wing and many of Trump supporters being of unaware or in a bubble. But as a matter of fact, you guys are in the bubble. Yeah, no, uh, an almost guilty as charged, right? Mm-hmm. You, you, you do what you can, or you do what you, but you kind of feel like we're a big country. There's enough. There's enough people here. It, it won't happen, right? We we oversimplify the process and we misunderstand the depth. Yeah. we don't even recognize it. Um, is there a such thing as too soon? Um, to quote the great Steve Harvey, um, <laughs> that's an inside joke for myself. But um, he once said in an interview, he's like, when something happens in the news, comedians already have the joke. You may have the joke the minute you hear the line, even if it's awful or whatever. Um, but eventually, you, it, like, it does become okay. There's a too soon um, threshold. Yeah. Uh, but in political satire, some, you have to be immediate. You have to address the issue, but also be sensitive and also be humorous at, at the same time. Yeah. What's, the, what's the formula there, doctor? Well, it depends on which kind of people you're talking to. Right. So I come from a very conservative country uh, where it is not okay to make fun of religion and where it's not okay to make fun of many of the traditions. So our biggest target was the authority. And the problem is our the, we are just like blessed or cursed in this way that people from authority either come from a religious background or from a military background. Both of them are very sacred um, values like religion and military. So when you go behind, uh, go, go after someone, people say, oh, you're making fun of religion, you're making fun of God. No, I'm making fun of the guy who uses religion. This kind of mix-up, you have to tread very careful, very, very carefully between the two. So we, we, we had to give up so many jokes because it would be misunderstood because we don't want to lose a lot of people because they, I, we don't want them to use, oh, you're talking about religion, about the military. We, we, it was much more difficult for us. Right. Um, you have a, a young child. Um, you have another one on the way. You mentioned your mom. What were the family conversations like? And I ask this because I think a lot of uh, you know, our listeners and guests are sort of entrepreneurs and innovators in their own right, and they're like on this journey by themselves. You're at the forefront. Of, uh, another quote I like is, the best way to lead a parade is to find one and get in front of it. And for you, it's risky um, for everybody involved, (laughs) right? And not just like, oh, can I put food on the table? Hey, babe, I'm going to risk our savings to start a company. This is like I'm risking our our lives and our freedom. 
Um, what were those conversations like at home to, to get people to calm down a little bit? Well, my wife has always been supportive, extremely supportive. I mean, you cannot find a, a more supportive woman than than her. She's she always expressed her concern, but like she knew that like the, I found my passion, so she would not interfere. My parents, especially my mom, going. I mean, they, they both of them now are deceased, but like at that time, they were very. Uh, my mom was very um, anxious and very worried all the time, all the time. I mean, everything I said, n- not a, jing- a single joke that I would say on the show will pass unless she goes. It goes through full scrutiny. Afterwards. Like, why did you say this? You know, it's like people who just misunderstanding. People go after you, and it was like a, a, a kind of a, a continuous tension between me and my mom. And uh, and it, 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 she did that out of love and out of concern, but you know, it. And she also belongs to an older generation. Who for them, it's not okay to make fun of certain things. Right? Can you um, can you track? <coughs> excuse me. Can you track your presence in media to change? You know, whether it was in an individual that you found, hey, an organization did something, um, you know, how much difference does this sort of political satirism actually make on the ground? Well, there's a lot of change that happened, not just on political level, but also happened on the business level. So when we came through and we said we're going to do a one-time-a-week show for that much budget, like that, nobody will finance that. It's, not, it's unheard of at that time. Right. Uh, and now there are people. There are now all the sh- all the good shows in the Middle East are one time a week, and they have like very good budgets, and they have very high production. We didn't use, didn't have this kind of quality before the, my show started. Um, uh, because of our show, YouTube was finally monetized in the Middle East. It was not monetized before our wow. show because of like we brought so many uh, viewers, and we brought in so many commercials on YouTube for the first time in the Middle East, it was now monetized. So that is a change. Uh, the main change that happened, it's not because of the show. The show happened because of that change. The change of the revolution happened, although that we are now living under uh, a much more oppressive regime. But the younger people now are looking to the world in, a, in different eyes. They don't have, they don't care about the taboos that are being uh, that have been ruling the lives of their parents and their grandparents for a long time. They're questioning everything. And I always say questioning is the prequel of a revolution. Mm. Questioning is very dangerous. And for authoritarian, authoritarian regimes and societies, they do not welcome uh, questioning because A, they cannot deal with it, and B, it can eventually lead to the crumble of authority. So it... it and we have like these two big, huge pillars, which is religion and military. Right. These are the untouchables, and now it is quite touchable. No, it's great. And I did read how you know you were that sort of the the first opening of the gate. Um, what did it take? I, I get the team part of it, and I get a team being passionate behind it, um, especially when you first launch and you first make the jump to a network. What did it take for a network to do? Because I think they had that's an even bigger risk, I would imagine. Uh, oh yeah, they were like we, they had to nego- they negotiated our, uh, us so much. 
Like when, when I did, so on a political level, it was a time, there was a window of opportunity that people were allowed to say what they wanted. When I started to deviate from what the network wanted, especially after the coup, after the military coup, they were pretty much pro-military. And I made fun of the military, and this is where they ended my contract. And then I had to go to a different lo- uh, uh, like a regional channel, and then there were pressure over this channel. So, uh, and now there's n- absolutely no place for dissent in, in Egyptian media at all. So you had your, uh, your great escape, which I always, in my head, I feel like it's like a see an action movie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, what, so what what is what is the evolution of Basim look like? What is you know what's on your radar now? Do you want to continue to make a difference in that capacity or? Yes. So I I am living the Hollywood life, which is pitching ideas. Why unbutton three buttons? Of course, yes. yes. <laughs> it is. And there's a lot of like uh, hair coming yeah, out. Yeah, there's a lot of like, like hello. Uh, <laughs> uh, there's. Um, which means that you work on projects, you write scripts, you pitch ideas, and you, you hope that you catch a break. This is what everybody in Hollywood is doing, right? right. And that's what everybody in television or in cinema is moving. So um, uh, I want to continue doing that change, but now I want to do... The, the, the challenge now is even more difficult for me because you might think that it was very hard to do it in Egypt, and it was hard. But now the challenge is that like, I had to do it in a different language, with a different audience, in um, a totally different uh, landscape, right. which is American media, which is which, where the competition is totally cutthroat for people who have been born and lived here all their lives. So break, to break into that is quite difficult. Do you feel like this, it's the gift and the curse, though? Because you are such a unique voice, but it's also... It's, one question is, yeah, but can you do it here? Yeah. The other question is like, oh, look, a fresh, you know, face. <laughs> Still, uh, I mean, uh, I mean, in Egypt, the challenge was was that, that you want to create something that was not done before, and that in itself is 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 a big challenge. Here, you come here in an already saturated market, so it's the total opposite. Right. And you come here as an outsider, and you would try to make it. Uh, which is, I think, it's even more difficult, especially it's not your your mother language. What does what does that feel like? Uh, inter- especially you go from like being the biggest thing to like, hey, I, I'm a, I'm just another guy. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, well, it is interesting because I'm learning a lot. Uh, I'm learning something new every day. Uh, I'm here. I'm taking improv classes, acting classes, writing classes, and I'm always the the oldest guy in the class because I'm 43, and uh, and the people who take these classes are usually in their early 20s, and. Um, uh, so it's interesting, but it's also terrifying. What if I didn't do it? What if I didn't have my break? And uh, so, uh, and and also it's part of it is in being in an entertainment business. It's like you live with uncertainty the whole time. Yeah, uh, and uh, I guess that gives you a bit of grit. I think you the the grit that you came from, mm-hmm. <laughs> the level of all right stick to itiveness. I'm, I'm making up all sorts of stuff today that it takes to survive what you survived in Egypt is nothing compared to going to an improv class and worrying like <laughs> it's the, you know. It's a different kind of pressure. Right. Like to actually to come here and do stuff that 20 years old do it, but you do it with a family, you do it when a play where you don't, you have, know that you have no other choice. So it is a different kind of challenge. Um, do you plan on revisiting your, your former uh, career? 
no. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what? Uh, let's back up for a second. You know, how did Little Bessem end up even becoming a doctor? What was ingrained in you? And I think, especially like as you evolved and be, you know, into where you are now, a lot of that is probably rooted in where where you came from as a child, the perspective you came from as a child. Well, you go into medicine to please your parents. This is what you do in the Middle East. <laughs> very, <laughs> very, very easy. Uh, but I've always been a hard worker. I've always wanted to be at the top of the class and to be better, uh, get the best grades and everything. And um, uh, I, I, I just, when I watched like entertainment from the United States and I watched the state of our television, it's like, oh, I wish we can make some change here. And it's kind of like the opportunity just offered itself. So it's... I can't say that like I had I had anything more special than anybody because everybody's watching like the media outside. It's just like I think it was it's a matter of circumstances and the opportunity being um, offered, and you took it and did something with it. That's great. Um, and then I, I guess as you move forward, is there? I guess what's how are you being received in the room? Like you know, because I think you have sort of this story behind you when you go into an entertainment room or go into a meeting or an oh yeah i mean uh, i mean they're like oh we're big fans we're great we're amazing okay give me the freaking job <laughs> give me a freaking show dude it's well i feel you on that because uh, you know almost on your entire journey i i have a degree in engineering i worked at chrysler for a couple of years after i graduated school you know and that was for my mom right like it was she was a teacher as an educator grew up in the projects of detroit definitely didn't want me going that route so you know, instilled all these things in me, and then, but I loved comedy, right? Like I did stand up for seven years, but I didn't even start until I went to college. Until I got out of the house, that was the time I, I started to do it. Um, but but yeah, but then you build up this traction, and and then yeah, you still have to prove yourself. Um, so one one last thing I want to go back to on the on the um, on, on your series side is technology and how that played a role. You know, especially if there was no YouTube, you know, would there be a, a Boston user? No, I don't think so. Um, there was, YouTube helped a lot. But also at that time, YouTube was, when I, when we did our show in 2011 on YouTube, there were absolutely no original Arabic content. We were the first one to you do it. You were the first everything. Uh, we, <laughs> I mean, time, it was the first a lot of things. Yeah, at, at that time, yes, and and the the, the uh, and uh, when we did it, people just said, "Who is this guy? And why is he on YouTube? And why don't we? How, why haven't we seen him before?" Just because it was always the television and nothing else. Television was so dominant. Uh, and right now, you're sitting on what nine point four million uh, Twitter followers alone. Nine point seven. Oh, sorry, I didn't. I didn't. I'm, I'm sorry. We have, you have to be specific. Uh, yeah, no, I, my calculator is broken. Uh, Research team. Uh, guess uh, but but mostly in the Middle East. I, I would love to have more of those people here in the states. Um, that no, and congratulations on, <laughs> on that success. Last but not least, did you was there any other points in history that you looked at? where satire made a real impact? As you started to develop this concept, were you looking at like, I don't know, was Pontus Pilate kind of taken over by some... I don't, know. I, I don't know if really satire made an impact. I, 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 because here's the thing. I mean, is it, is it an impact? 
I don't think that satire can actually make an impact unless you already have a democratic society. Got it. Uh, the idea of satire changing a dictatorship, it will not happen because dictators will actually strike down on the satires, satires before it ever happened. So if you watch, oh, like uh, the change from Bush to Obama, was John Stewart and Colbert responsible for that? I don't think so. I think they helped a lot of people just get maybe more aware, but also like eight years of George W. Bush was enough to vote Democrat even. You know, <laughs> it's right. horrible, you know. And yet, after good eight years of Obama, it was not enough to stay Democrat and people voted for Donald Trump. So I, 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 might, I, don't, know. I don't know history enough to tell you, but I don't think that actually satire really made in like a monumental impact. Maybe it helped, but I don't think it it would alone would do anything that's brilliant um the show is called innovation crush Mm -hmm. and we've talked about you being a lot of firsts (laughs) uh what what do you currently see in the world that you're personally crushing on like is you know maybe there's an app a meal you had a person you saw uh, a piece of content you absorbed what is it what's out there that gave you goosebumps recently you got all excited about I'm kind of like I'm I've been having this crush on Tesla cars for a while so if Elon Musk is listening my address in the 6th street <laughs> and uh, I would I'm open to receiving packages bigger than Amazon ones so send the one I want the big one the SUV you can make it two just yeah I mean I just, for me I'll send, I'll, we'll, I, we'll send this over to uh, <laughs> there, I, I, I actually I, I think I know I, I know that this might be like sound mundane but i think electrical cars electric cars is just like really amazing because i remember when 10 15 years ago this was people like what electric cars right. never gonna happen the, the 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 conversation between fossil fuel and electric cars or fossil fuel and renewable energy was a myth 20 years ago oh, yeah. and i'm old enough to remember that so actually to see that as a reality, it is something extremely uh, unique. It's like we're living in the future. It's, it's, it's I, so I grew up in Detroit and we had the auto show, you know, every year. Still still do. But that when that, these used to be concept cars. Like, oh, look yeah. what we made up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's yeah. A drawing like, and we built a shell and yeah, maybe. It's like, yeah, a, a college uh, projects. But like now, and then you find all of the other like, Cars doing it, like, you know, the Volt, the Leaf, whatever, it's not as big as efficient as and glamorous as the Tesla, but it's there. Yeah. And it's not, it's going to happen. And people, it's just like, uh, <laughs> I, humanity have to figure out the energy thing because I think this is what actually br- bringing us all down. But will we, like, I, well, I want us to, but I wonder if we will. Well, it re- it really depends on like special interests and the 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 money behind each interest. Right. Uh, I, I I hear this. so something on the side. Sure. Um, I'm vegan. Okay. All right, and I'm not the kind of a vegan that I go into your face like, oh, you don't eat animals. Like, I, I respect the people who do it for ethical reasons. I'm doing it from a totally health pr- a medical perspective. I think that plant-based whole food diet will save you as a human being and will save the planet. And I say, and people talk, continuously talk about global warming and they look at factories and cars and they totally ignore that 50% of the global emission of carbon comes from um, uh, cow cows. farms and <laughs> yeah. cows and pigs and chicken. And it is a fact and because people love their chicken and beef so much, they don't want to look at it. It doesn't matter if you turn all your cars electric the next day. 
you're still going to have a big problem of global warming. I think in there, somewhere in there, I think you just found your show idea. No, no, I am, this, is, <laughs> this is, by the way, something I'm working on, and I hope that I actually do with the show. And this, there, there's also a huge environmental impact of, like, how much uh, deforestation is happening to provide land for cattle because you need hundred times the size of land to feed cattle to get your ham- hamburger than to plant food that to to give to eat to to, com- to for human consumption and this is destroying the planet and right. it's actually it's bringing it's like it's polluting our water sources it's um it's destroying our climate and it is uh, making everybody sick. All of these chronic diseases that happened in the last 40 years is because of the huge consumption of dairy, beef, and sugar. And I don't want to like sound like one of those like no, like I'm like I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm and, loving it. And, 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 McDonald's I, I, quote, I'm loving it. I mean, I'm yeah, loving please, what you're of course. And 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 I'm and I'm not like kind of like I'm not with this like kind of like oh be vegan because a lot of vegans actually are very unhealthy because they eat chips, they eat oil, they eat fried stuff, they eat sugar, and this is not actually like I'm a good health. I'm more of like a plant based whole food diet. So. So this is like to answer your question, where do you see the world? I mean, this is like obviously something that is destroying the planet. And yet, because it generates so much money for huge corporations, nobody will do anything about it. So the beef industry, the poultry industry, the the, the, the pork industry, the, the dairy industry, they are just like cracking in the money and they don't care about the planet. And uh, people eat their like you know um, sandwiches and they're happy with it and they don't care about it so it's just like uh, I mean I know maybe it is kind of like a bleak look at the future and I should be talking about satire but like I'm, I'm no, but I, I'm, but I'm I think that's what it does right like you t- you take on a, a very serious topic in a way mm-hmm. that's you know sh- just shine a different kind of light on it um, yeah. because I think we've all seen. I just, I just watched what the health, you know. Have you seen the first part, Cowspiracy? No. So they, so the makers of What the Health did a movie before that called Cowspiracy, and they talked about the environmental impact of animal farming around right. the world, and it just it blows your mind. You know, it's just like and 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 even in that movie, What the Health, when you have like the American Diabetic Association like promoting. Uh, 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 shrimps right. wrapped in bacon. Yeah, exactly. I mean, how come, like, I mean, a disease like diabetes that is known to be caused by horrible food choices, the only way to treat it is by drugs, not by changing your diet? I do not understand. It's the American way, unfortunately. No, it's not the American way. It's actually it's a global <laughs> way. It's like it's everybody. It's, it's, uh, for once, America is not only to blame. Right. <laughs> uh, th- thank you for that. <laughs> um, because, I, I mean, is there a way to look at it from a top-down perspective? Like, is there a way to even change the minds of the people with the fat pockets? No, uh, it will not. The, the, here's the thing. And this brings me back again to the uh, conversation of the fossil fuel versus the, um, uh, the renewable energy. This now, as we are seeing, it's more of a head-to-head conversation other than kind of a condescending conversation 20 years ago. The reason it's head-to-head now, there are like more people with fat pockets that went behind the renewable energy cause. So we need people. We need the idea of going plant-based or increasing our plant consumption instead of animal. We need people, more money to be put behind these people other than 
activists who just like brand themselves like cattle and uh, or just like or just like splash themselves with blood you need to have a much more i don't know the, if the word is right financed efforts mm. in order to spread awareness because it really comes down to money and you need to make it sexy for these people to invest their money into this kind of cause so if people can get their money by treating people by instead of like pouring all of this money into uh, health into medical procedures that really i mean health expenses is the number one cause of bankruptcy in the united states mm -hmm. ahead of student loan ahead of of house loan default So this is number one. If someone can come in, it's like I can make an investment in that. Right. And I can actually get more money from the health insurance company instead of like going in and paying $100,000 for a, a quadruple bypass. I can change his lifestyle. And in a few weeks, this person can get rid of all of his chronic diseases. Isn't that a good investment? Wouldn't people pay money for that? Wouldn't the health insurance company pay $10,000 to do that instead of $100,000 for... Uh, a quadruple bypass, right? So it yeah. is, it, it, there is something, and I. this is one of the things that I want to do. I've been discussing this with even the makers of Cowspiracy and what the hell. So I want to do like a kind of a digital show in Arabic and in English because this is not an American problem. It's a, it's a global problem. Right. And people in the Middle East, actually seven out of the top 20 countries in the world with diabetes are Arab countries. And Egypt is number nine overall as in numbers. You know, America is number one, 23 million people with diabetes. Egypt number nine with seven million people with diabetes. What? Yeah, so it is, and I remember one of those doctors who treat by plant-based diet said, like, you guys in the Middle East have been always wanting to live like the West. Now you're dying like the West. That's uh, super enlightening. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, I'm, I'm, and, and I don't know how did we get from political satire to diet. <laughs> Welcome to Innovation Crush. So we just we just meander and figure it out as we go. Uh, but I think it all like, speaks to, you know, again, people who see uh, an opportunity and a complex problem and begins they begin to break it down in simpler forms or at least are informed enough to know where to go to make a, a, a good impact. So I wish you the best of luck <laughs> in that. Uh, um, uh, last but not least, I already said that once, but this time I'm serious. Complete this phrase for me. Ready? Complete the phrase for yes. you? Yes. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna, I'll give you the phrase. Okay. <laughs> innovation to me is... Mm, innovation, innovation to me is changing people's mind about something that they thought that will never be changed. Well said. Well said. <laughs> um, so, where can people find join your nine point seven? Make nine point seven eight six. Well, uh, my um, uh, Twitter is b yusuf b y o u s s e f and uh, Teclin Giants. The the movie that Sarah Texler from the Daily Show has brilliantly directed is on TeclinGiants dot com, uh, and uh, I wish they liked the movie. Um, what what is tick, what does it mean to tickle a giant? To tickle a giant is to bring the biggest, scariest creature and attack him with the most unusual way ever, using laughter and using satire. <laughs> uh, and, well, and, and, and the giants in my country didn't like that. <laughs> well, we like it. Uh, thank you for joining us, man. This has been great. Thank you so much. Um, everyone, this has been another installment of Innovation Crush, and we will talk to you next time. Oh, 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 oh,